0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the Christmas story. Lord, for many of us, we have grown up reading this story every year. Father, this is one of those stories that has a tendency to become well-worn in our hearts and in our minds. Father, as, as we look again at the truth of how your son came and was born to a virgin, of what happened at your birth, I pray, Lord, that you would not allow this to be cliche, that you would not allow these words to be stale, but Father, that you would speak to us from the truth of your word. Spirit, would you move in the reading, in the teaching, in the proclamation of your holy word? Would you move a, a sinful and foolish preacher out of your way that you might speak to us this morning, that we might be encouraged that we might be comforted, that we might be challenged and motivated, Lord. Father, help us to remember what Christmas was like all those years ago. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth that is found in it. Spirit, please move through the reading and preaching of your word to add your blessing. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can borrow one from the back of the pew. However you're accessing the word of the Lord in print or digitally, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I'll read verses 1 through 20 for us. After I complete verse 20, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now in Luke chapter 2. to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I really love all of the Gospels, but I just love the Gospel of Luke because I love his purpose statement, right? You know, when we were taught to write essays and stuff in college and high school, they always said, Start out your thesis with your purpose. Let everybody know what you're doing, what, you, what you're out to write, what you're out to say, what you're out to do. And he says, in as there's been a lot of other people who've tried to put together the narrative of, of what all happened with Jesus, there's been a lot of people among us even. Luke says, even among the disciples, even among the followers of Jesus, been a lot of people trying to figure out what happened in Jesus's life and put it together. So just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed like a good idea to me, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So. Luke sets out because he sees all of the accounts that are available. He reads all that the other disciples have written. He's spent a lot of time with Paul traveling around, but Luke decides there's really not A good account that is chronological, that is orderly, that's put together in a good way. And Luke's very familiar with all these stories. He knows how to write really well, so it seems like a good idea to him to go ahead and put together another account. Can you imagine Luke, who was not an eyewitness to these things, going and tracking down Mary, the mother of Jesus? And I just have to imagine that he writes in chapter 2 that Mary treasured all these things up. In her heart. How how did Luke track down all the different shepherds? Well, he, he, he probably didn't track down all the different shepherds, right? He probably went and talked to Mary. And every single smell and sight and sound of that event was burned into Mary's heart, into her mind, into her memory. She could close her eyes and be there at the birth of Jesus at any given moment. I just have to believe that Mary remembered the birth of Jesus probably better than she could tell you what she had for breakfast that morning. And so Luke goes and talks to Mary and Mary probably remembers everything that the shepherds told her because she's there with her newborn son and these random shepherds just show up at Joseph's family's house and they're like, hey, uh, there's a bunch of angels. It was like just, poof, up in the sky. And they said, come look for this baby. And uh, we think that's the baby. And the last time angels showed up to Mary, it was Gabriel being like, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So when people showed up telling Mary that some angels had showed up to them, she perked her ears up and listened. So Luke goes and talks to Mary to get every detail of how this happened. And so we have a beautiful and orderly account. We know why they were in Bethlehem. Oh, how Bethlehem fulfills the prophecy from the book of Micah. We know that Joseph is tied to the house and lineage of David. So we know that Jesus is a descendant of King David. Again, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. Over 600 prophecies. Over 600 very specific ingredients and instructions to the recipe of who Jesus had to be. How many people over the last week or so have been following every letter of every recipe to get the family favorites cooked and together? Right? Listen, I was charged with the roast and carrots and potatoes. Jessica was doing some other things. And like it it almost caused a fight in our house because she hands me the recipe card. And I am notorious for thinking I can improve on the recipe. I don't really like recipe cards. I like a little taste of this, a little taste of that. Let me see what I can do to maybe spice it up or flavor it up a little bit. And my wife, in the most tone she has, looked at me and said, follow this card. I said, yes, ma'am, we will do. Roger. So I did everything exactly as the card said. But because I have such a terrible tendency to exaggerate the recipe, Jessica asked me about 20,000 times, now, now, did you put two cups of water in with all that? I said, yes. Did it say it on the card, sweetheart? She said, that's what it says on the card. You told me to do the card, right? I told you to do the card. I did the card. Everything on the card, baby, I did not depart at all. And she said, okay, well, this is the first time ever, so you have to understand my hesitancy to believe you. Which, she was valid, okay? I was wrong. She was right. I did follow the card, though. In the same way, God almost writes this beautiful recipe for us of exactly what our favorite food is supposed to be. Our family tradition of exactly what we need, and it's all throughout the Old Testament, Everything that we needed in a Savior, everything that a Savior was supposed to be, you can find the recipe all throughout the Old Testament for hundreds of years, even 700 years prior, all the way back to Isaiah, even all the way back to Abraham saying God will provide for himself a sacrifice all the way back to the book of Genesis. We have a recipe, we have a description of who the Messiah will be. And so Luke sets out to write an orderly account so that we know that Jesus' birth followed the recipe exactly God didn't depart from what was supposed to be done at all. And so many Christmases, I just blaze right past that, y'all. There are over 600 prophecies that every word beginning in chapter 2, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now we have a time frame for when Jesus was born because Caesar Augustus was the Caesar, He was the emperor. He said that all the world should be registered. We can look and see. It's when Caesar Augustus said he wanted a new census. We can pinpoint exactly when Jesus was born. This is the first registration in this area when Quirinius, the guy that we can't ever pronounce his name right when we read this story together, he is the governor of Syria. You can go and look at the records and find out exactly when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Luke wanted to put together an orderly account so that we would know this really happened and this followed every detail of the recipe perfectly not an i was left undotted not a t was left uncrossed and so he breaks down every single detail to match up to those prophecies he's born to the house and the lineage of David he's supposed to be married with he's supposed to be registered with Mary because that's the wife. That's who the angel appeared to. And so while they're there, the the time comes for her to give birth. She lays, she gives birth to her son and lays him in the manger, wraps him in the clothes all tight. Can you, can you imagine when you hold your baby, when you've had grandchildren and the task of swaddling, right? You're trying to make a baby burrito if you can do it. You just, you want the head popping out and then everything else wrapped tight because they don't want, they, if they're like this, for some reason they're comfortable. I don't, I don't really know. Mary is a, is a young teenage girl is trying to figure out how to, how to wrap Jesus tightly. And as she's trying to swaddle him in these clothes, he's probably like every now and again, you know, taking an arm and putting it out. And if you've ever swallowed a baby, when the baby throws the arm out, restart, done, all right, let me get the cloth right, let me fold it just right, let me wrap him up. He was, just a regular baby. He's the savior of the world. But he had to be swaddled. He had to be wrapped up, and he was a little baby burrito. I mean, that's and then there was nowhere to lay him. So she lays him in a feeding trough. She lays him in a feeding trough. Guys, we get so appalled at some things of how dare they! How could they? How would you ever do that? If it's not the savior of the world, if it's just somebody just a random average person, and they take their baby and they put their baby in a buffet line container that's not got a fire underneath it, okay? What are we going to say? We're going to take that person down to DHR, we're going to take the child away from them, and we're going to say, you guys are absolutely insane. You cannot lay a baby in some sort of feeding trough on a buffet line. Well, the buffet line was the feeding trough for the, the animals. Like... You had to push the donkey and the cow out of the way to put Jesus in the manger. And they're still hungry because he's laying on their dinner. And then they're trying to come back and get something to eat. This is the birth of our Savior. The one who would live a perfect life. This is this is him. And then in verse 7, it says that they're there because there was no place for them in the inn. And and that, that translation where it says the word inn, that's, that's really not a very good translation translation. It it has it has made us think about this story in very specific terms. But this is the same word that's used later in Luke chapter 22 to talk about the upper room where they eat the last supper. This is the same kind of room that in Second Kings chapter four, Elisha stops by at the Shunammite woman's house and they make a room for him on the roof. This is the word for an extra room, a guest room, a room for hospitality. This is not necessarily a hotel. This is not necessarily some sort of resort or some sort of inn as we would think about it today. The word that is used for in, if you go to Luke chapter 10, you'll find that when Jesus is telling the parable of the good Samaritan, he uses a completely different Greek word to represent an inn, where they where the man, the good Samaritan took the man who had been beaten and left him at the inn with an innkeeper. This is not Mary and Joseph walking around through the streets of Bethlehem going, do you guys have any room? I have reservation carpenter party of two carpenter party of two. Well, okay, we will eventually be a party of three, but I, it's Joseph Carpenter. You got anybody? No, no room, no reservation. I, I promise I used Expedia. They've never let me down. I, I just, I know I've got a room here. Looks really good in our Christmas pageants and Christmas plays and in our nativity scenes for them to be like off in a stable or something like that. But they're at Joseph's house. Joseph's going to Bethlehem to be registered to stay with his family And so he goes to his family's house, and in a house, a a typical Palestinian-era house of that day, they would have one main room where everything happened, and then they had one guest room where everything else happened. And then they had a spare area that was kind of fenced in. When Jesus talks about, I am the door, the, the gate, That's where they brought their animals in in the evening and then on the edge of the house they had a manger. They had an area where they would feed the animals. It was usually like carved out of stone. It wasn't even made out of wood because that was harder to come by, more expensive. So they just carved the manger into the side of the house and they put the hay right there. And so everybody comes into town and and it is the epitome of every Christmas movie you've ever seen where all the family comes into town and everybody gets displaced and has to sleep somewhere else. And it's not just Christmas movies. This is real life. If you wonder about... Why we do the things that we do. It goes all the way back to the Christmas story. If you wonder why everybody in the Barnes family is under one roof, they are trying to be biblical, okay? So some people are sleeping in the floor. Some people are sleeping in the attic. You just put people wherever you can. But in Jesus' day, there ain't no separate rooms. You're worried about sharing a bed with somebody. Everybody's in the same room. There is no such thing as privacy. It's one tight, open space. You got Uncle Larry over there just leaned up against the wall asleep somehow. They're all over the place. And so to try and give Mary some privacy, they let her go out where the animals are so that she's not giving birth with all of Joseph's aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and everybody in the extended family going, Golly, Mary, you're doing a great job there giving birth. I just I just think this is wonderful. Is that the Savior you said? Wow, man, tell you what, I'm watching something special here. Hey, Mary, why don't we go outside and we'll, uh, we'll just be by the animals, okay? We'll, we'll lay, him in the, lay him in the manger when we're done. Not randomly walking around, knocking on doors, looking for a hotel room, trying to get some privacy from the rest of the family that was gathered together because everybody had to go back to be registered. That's probably a more accurate picture of what was really happening. Now, you don't have to change your nativity scenes or anything like that, but that's what's going on. So then Jesus is born. And we see in the same region, there's shepherds out in the field. This is is what blows my mind. Jesus is born to Mary, who's going to get married to a carpenter, who's a nobody. The angels show up to the shepherds, and the shepherds are nobodies. And even in the midst of that, there's a star that shows up, and God calls out to and draws these wise men, these magi, these, these guys from the east who are wealthy, who are rulers somehow. So there's no geographic restriction. There's no status restriction. Jesus comes, and it's for the young, it's for the old, it's for the close, it's for the far, it's for the red, the yellow, the black, the white. It's for the black people, the African Americans. It's for the Hispanic people. It's for the Asian people. It's for Caucasian people. It's for every single person. It's for the rich people. It's for the poor people. It's for everybody. Part of the reason that Luke includes these things in the story is so that we know that Jesus is here for everyone. There's nobody that's too poor. There's, there's nobody that's too dingy, too ugly there's nobody that's too dirty. There's nobody that's too gross. Man, we've had a great time in my house reading an old favorite book of mine. the The best, you know, it's the, the worst with worst marked out best Christmas pageant ever. Have y'all have y'all ever read this book? You familiar with this? Usually we have to read it as we go through school, and and it's the Herdman's right. The Herdmans are those people who do everything wrong, who are dirty, who smell bad. They always fail each grade, but they get passed along anyway because nobody wants to have them a second year. They smoke cigars and they burn down buildings and they're terrible, awful kids. And somehow they get invited to church, right? And the whole point of the book is the mother coming to realize... That the Christmas pageant isn't about everybody being up on the stage and being pristine and looking just right and singing just perfectly and saying the right words. It's about anybody and everybody coming to see Jesus. And y'all, as I was getting ready for this week, I just couldn't get that book off my mind. The shepherds were dirty. They were dingy. They smelled bad. They were nobodies. This is not a glorious profession. They're not surgeons, they're not doctors, they're not lawyers, they're not in the military, they're not great entrepreneurs and business owners. These are the lowest of the low in society. And there's a host of angels that show up just to tell them. Just to tell them. And and nobody else even believes them when they go around talking about it. They're so low in society. They're so insignificant. They're such nobodies that after they see this incredible thing, it says that they went around telling everybody, Mary's the only one who stores it up in her heart. Everybody else is like, The shepherds has been getting in the sauce a little early this year, huh? Whoo, man, was, what a story. Those shepherds have been spending a little too much time out in the field. I mean, angels telling them there was going to be a baby, the a is going to be born in Bethlehem of all places. What's going on with these guys? And yet it's significant enough that Mary remembers. And it's significant enough that Luke writes it down. So that for thousands of years we can remember and celebrate that unto us, even the shepherds, even you, even me, suit, no suit, smelly, not smelly, hygienic, not hygienic, well off, not well off, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how well you fit into the church mold, you're just another nobody like, like me. And the gospel is for you. Man, are we not quick to get big in our britches? Are we not quick to be arrogant and proud of who we are and how lucky God is that we're coming to church on Christmas? Are we not so quick to be the people Who know exactly what we're supposed to say and how we're supposed to act and it's us and them. But the angels went to the shepherds just so that we would know there is no us and them. We're all them. We're all us. For unto you, whosoever will, is born this day in the city of David the Savior of the world. And this Christmas, I I think sometimes I get caught up in everything other than understanding that Jesus is for everybody, that Christmas should be just as important and special and significant for somebody that's living in the middle of Andalusia, in government housing of some sort, in the projects, wherever you find the projects as it is for somebody living way off in the country somewhere out in Covington County with the biggest house, with tons of land and tons of animals. Man, the gospel is for everybody. And and if Jesus were to have been born today, it's likely the angels would show up to tell the people living in the projects, not the people living in the big house in the country. Because that's who the shepherds were. The shepherds were the lowest in society. They were the people living in the projects. They were the people that we would all make slurs about and say things, but hope nobody heard us say that. They were the people that we'd give dirty looks and dirty glances to if they were to walk in this church. And in our hearts, we'd be judging them like crazy. And at best, we might go up to them and greet them while we're thinking in our mind, I cannot believe you walked in here like that. Do you not know that this is a church? But outside we're going, oh, hey, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming. Glad. You know what? Nobody typically sits over here. Why don't you sit over this way? Folks, the announcement went to shepherds. It's not super complicated. I, I don't have some, woo, land blasting other thing in the message. The announcement of Jesus went to the shepherds. And I I think a lot of times you and I forget that we're no better than the shepherds. I think a lot of times you and I turn into the people who cast judgment on the shepherds of our day when the angels showed up to those people. Angels didn't show up to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin. The angels didn't show up to Caiaphas, the high priest. The angels didn't show up to any of the rabbis. He didn't show up in any of the synagogues. It was out in a, in a field around a bunch of stinky sheep. The next time we're feeling big in our britches, the next time we're feeling like, man, we've got life figured out, we are doing good, let's try to remember that the gospel is for shepherds. It's for nobodies. And I'm the biggest nobody around so are you. That's the story of Christmas. Jesus came for the shepherds. We're all just a bunch of shepherds. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you made room for us, for the rich, for the poor, for the young, for the old, the fat, for the skinny, no matter the color of our skin, no matter how short, no matter how tall, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter who our parents are, thank you for reminding us, even in the Christmas story, that your gospel, the good news that there is hope in you and in you alone was announced to the lowest in society. Lord, thank you that your gospel is available to everyone. Father, please help us. Forgive us. Or we get so caught up in everything that doesn't matter. Or we get so judgmental and self-righteous. Or we turn into a bunch of Pharisees. Experts in the Christmas story. Missing the message of it all along. Lord, help us. Today, to stop and remember that the announcement went to the shepherds and we're just a bunch of shepherds like them. Lord, if there's anybody here that as they listen to that Christmas story, they didn't realize that you fulfilled all the prophecies. Lord, as we read the scriptures, they, they didn't realize that it was all true. I pray that you would move on their heart and that today might be the day that they trust in you that they might say that they want to follow you today. Lord, for those of us who have lost or missed the meaning of Christmas or counted ourselves higher than we should, help us to repent, help us to seek after you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.